minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we go, the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program comes from studios of 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. You can access the podcast at any time at 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscana. And I'm hosting today's program. If you wonder what Anarchy is all about, Anarchist Society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. It's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common. So simple concepts. Why those simple concepts underline uh, the idea of anarchism, anarchos, without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, you hold wealth in common. Inequalities in power and wealth is what creates many of the problems that we face today. Now, I've got an interesting program for you today. Well, it could be boring, could be interesting. It's really up to you to decide. It's not for me to say, is it? You know, uh, but um, there's a few things I'd like uh, to discuss. Obviously, I'll make a budget response. Not that anybody's interested. Uh, I mean, I just cannot believe what I'm hearing these days. I just cannot believe it. Um We'll also be making a, a few comments. I want to just kind of... There's a little bit of misinformation. I don't like using the word fake news. Misinformation. Fake news means there's... there's but there's misinformation. I just like to describe the difference between Islam and Islamism, especially with the uh, jailing of uh, Ahok in Indonesia, our closest uh, neighbour and the increasing uh, influence of the Muslim fundamentalist movement in Indonesia on the Indonesian military, the de facto powerhouse in Indonesia, the, uh, this unlikely coalition which may lead to the balkanisation of Indonesia, but we'll look at that. But initially we'll talk about Islam and is- Islamism, the difference. I think a lot of people have a little bit of difficulty uh, understanding the difference, and it's essential that we understand the difference if we're activists. Also, we'll be talking about the... Uh, Defend and extend a public housing rally, which will be held in Melbourne at midday on the uh, Wednesday, the uh, 10th of May. This is an ongoing uh, rally, which is held once a month outside the steps of Parliament House in Victoria. You could do the same thing in your part of the world, especially if you live in New South Wales or uh, uh, West Australia, where we're seeing privatisation of the public housing sector, actually the extinction Let's forget about the word privatisation, but the extinction of the public housing sector. And so, you know, it's a little bit like 
people don't worry about the C word anymore. You can use it in polite conversation. But the P word, that's just beyond the pale. You can never use the P word in conversation, especially in political conversation or social discourse. The P word, public. It's as if the term public has become some type of contagious disease that's somehow landed on planet Earth from uh, intergalactic uh, regions and needs to be destroyed. So we'll look at that, public housing, defending extent, public housing, because I think there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of misinformation, and most of it, uh, it's put in in that position for that very reason, just to confuse people. I'll give you an example. Look, I'll start off the Defend and Extend Public Housing Rally, just in case people want to come across to it and they're listening to this program. On uh, Wednesday the 10th of May, uh, the rally will be in the steps of Parliament House from midday to about 1.32pm. But uh, I'd just like to uh, read out a little statement from the Public Housing Renewal Program. You like that? Public Housing Renewal Program. The State Labor Government is hell-bent on destroying the public housing sector and uh, replacing it with a, you know, with private enterprise through social, community and affordable housing sector. And a lot of people think the words are interchangeable. And I'll just read you out this little, little, little gem. It's a real gem. What is the renewal program? The Victorian government is committed to better meeting the need, the housing needs of Victorians. That's why we're planning to redevelop ageing public housing estates into vibrant, better-connected, mixed-tenure neighbourhoods, where people can live in housing that is safe and secure and meets modern standards as part of the Public Housing Renewal Program. In order to achieve this, the Victorian Government has committed $185 million as part of an announced $2.7 billion in support for, wait for it, boys and girls, social housing to renew existing homes on public housing estates across the metropolitan Melbourne and in regional centres of Victoria. The renewal will result in a 10% increase, wait for it, boys and girls, of social housing homes at each location. So they're going around to housing estates across Victoria and they're telling residents they're going to improve things for them. But they're not telling them, they're not creating more public housing which is owned and run by the state government. But what they're doing is they're using taxpayers' money to bankroll social community, the social community and affordable housing sector. This is a privately owned sector whether the organisations which own this sector are, pub, are um, not-for-profit or f- create profits is irrelevant. This is a privatisation. So what we are seeing is the abrogations of the state government's responsibility across this country, state government's responsibility across this country, to provide public housing. And why does it affect you? Because people say, well, you know, what's it got to do with me? I'm renting in the private sector. I'm buying a home. I've paid off my mortgage. What's it got to do with me? The thing about social housing, it's a little bit like private medicine. 
you cherry pick the more profitable elements and everybody else's the doors are closed to. That's the problem. It's a real issue because the strategy changes. What happens is the landlord and the landlady changes from a state government which theoretically treats everybody equally in terms of need when they need public housing, whether they've got an addiction or not, or a psychiatric disorder or not, or whether they've got 15 kids or not. While the social community and affordable housing sector is basically nothing more than a new public, a new private enterprise. And across the nation, we are seeing the deliberate fudging of the difference between public housing, social housing, affordable housing. And that's why public interest before corporate interest was approached six months ago in Victoria to try to generate a campaign to put public housing back on the agenda, back on the political, social and cultural agenda in this country. Because we are seeing, not just in Victoria and the rest of Australia, but across the world, the privatisation in terms of titles and management of the housing sector, of the public housing sector. We saw it further in yesterday's budget, federal budget, where the Treasurer has announced capital gains savings for investors who wish to invest in affordable social housing. And the key is not public housing, providing money to the state government to build more public housing, which is owned owned and managed by the public Ministry of Housing, but housing which is built by the private sector in order to meet a housing problem. Now, last week, I mentioned that in Victoria, which is where I'm familiar with the, you know, the, the numbers, $6.1 billion was raised in stamp duty. And stamp duty is collected when somebody buys a unit or a home. Right? You pay stamp duty to the state government. If this $6 billion was quarantined every year to build public housing, which was owned and managed by the state government, you could build 20,000 units and houses across the state of Victoria every year. And the numbers could escalate in good years if property prices continue to increase. So why should state duty, stamp duty revenue, which is created through the, you know, through the sale of privately owned homes, not be used to provide public housing? And how does that affect the community. Now, we saw in the budget last night the boring Mr Morrison's budget. You remember you were told he was going to solve the problem of housing affordability. Well, there was no questions about affecting investors, except, now you may find this very funny, that you know that if you owned 
real estate interstate or if you're from overseas in your own real estate, right? You can fly into the country or fly up to Cairns, as we saw the former health minister do, inspect your investment and claim the costs. That's right, the cost as a legitimate tax deduction. Well, that little loophole has finally been closed. But when it comes to addressing negative gearing, and capital gains tax, or the lack of significant capital gains tax. You know, the driving force, the driving force in the housing uh, bubble, because over 50% of new homes which are bought, or old homes which are bought today, are bought by investors, right? Bought by investors who then claim losses as a tax deduction. There's nothing in the budget to say that, look, if you've got three homes after that, you can't claim any losses as a tax deduction. So if you have a strong, viable, growing public housing sector, not only does it meet the problem of supply, supplying housing to people who need housing, it puts downward pressure on rents and prices because that's what a mixed economy does when the state competes with the private sector, especially with the corporate sector, you drive down prices. Privatisation of significant state-owned assets opens the marketplace to, to be dominated by cartels, as we see in the banking sector. And when cartels, duopolies, dominate a particular field of human endeavour in a, in a nation state, they basically set their own prices. They will extract every cent they can. So being involved in a defending and extending public housing struggle benefits everybody. It benefits everybody. Not just the 3% of people in Victoria who live in public housing. It benefits those people who rent. It benefits those people who can't enter the property market. It benefits those people with mortgages. The only people it doesn't benefit is investors. End of story. Which is over, you know, which is only about 10% of the Australian population. So think about it. Think about it. Join the Defend and Extend Public Housing Movement. It is the single most logical solution to the current problem of housing affordability. And if the federal government does not want to interfere with negative gearing rules and capital gains tax, then it's up to state governments to use the resources or the funds which they generate through the sale of real estate through stamp duty to use that stamp duty money to build the public housing sector, not waste public money giving away housing, public housing, to the private sector, to the social sector, affordable sector, community housing sector. Think about it. This is a basic direction we need to move in as a society. If you're listening to this program on the 10th of May, Wednesday the 10th of May, and you live in the city of Melbourne, well, join us at the Defend and Extend 
public housing rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at midday. We'll be there for at least an hour and a half. Come along. There won't be any great, brilliant, you know, well-known speakers because everybody seems to be running away. Once again, we contacted the 88 members of the Victorian Legislative Assembly and the 40 members of the Victorian Legislative Council and the only one who bothered, who bothered to respond to our invitation to come and speak to hear what their particular political party had to offer the public housing sector was an apology from Minister Natalie Hutchinson, Labor Minister for Industrial Relations, Local Government and Aboriginal Affairs. Everybody else couldn't even bother to respond. Couldn't even bother to say, sorry, can't make it. They think that you, people like you and me, are nothing but human garbage. That's what they think. They think that if they ignore us, we'll go away. They think that we have nothing to add to the housing debate in this country. They think of us as the dribs and drabs, you know, human garbage, shoveled away, buried. Well, this garbage, this garbage, the garbage that will turn up at the Defend and Extend public housing rally today. Now, if you can't make it today, the next day will be on the 7th of June, which is a parliamentary sitting day. And the 10th of May today is a parliamentary sitting day. We will be there every month, every month, till this government changes its policy, until we see some policies from the Liberal opposition who will follow this government's policies, and we will continue to put pressure on the Greens who are initially sympathetic to our ideas, who seem to be getting cold feet recently. Maybe their local members in Parliament have had a little bit of pressure put on from the central executive. So what do we want? We want no more public titles to be transferred or sold to privately owned organisations, irrespective of what they call themselves, irrespective of whether they call themselves affordable housing groups, social housing groups, community housing groups. Current and future governments will not enter into any more private public housing partnerships where you get a 20%, 80% division, 20% for the social housing sector or the community housing sector, 80% for the private sector and nothing, as we saw in that renewal program little statement, which I've read out, as we saw in that statement, that the management of public housing not be transferred to privately owned organisations and that public housing stocks have substantially increased through the diversion of stamp duty revenue into building public housing. So think about it. You agree with these things? You're in the city of Melbourne. Join us midday today, the 10th of May, Parliament sitting day. If you can't make it on the 10th of May, make it on the 7th of June or the 5th of July. Go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Have a look. See what's going on. Join us. 
nothing happening in your part of the world, nothing happening in South Australia or New South Wales or Tasmania or Queensland or the Northern Territory, the Australian Capital Territory or West Australia, form your own Defend and Extend Public Housing Group. Because this struggle is not just for public housing tenants. It's not just for people who are finding it difficult to access accommodation. It's for each and every Australian who is renting, who is paying off a mortgage, who can't get into the housing market, who is homeless. This is what this is about. And if you expected some solution to the housing crisis in the federal budget well you were sadly mistaken listen to the anarchist world this week broadcast across australia and the community radio network my name is joseph toscano i'm hosting today's program let's move on let's look at the budget oh i love the budget i love the budget i'll tell you why because we see every scumbag every piece of human excrement at least we're garbage they're excrement let's get it right at least we're useful we can be recycled they're excrement they're not useful they get should be flushed down the toilet every piece of human excrement appear on the government owned media and the corporate owned media and the and the uh, government guild at abc telling us oh this is a disaster for the rich it is a disaster we cannot believe it. They are going to introduce a 0.06% tax on the five. I'm about to cry. Oh, I, can't, I can't stand this. It's just, oh, it's not fair, is it? It's really not fair. Introducing a 0.06% tax on the five biggest banks in this country. I got tears rolling down my face. I'm actually laughing, all right, at the, at the response. I'm not crying. You know, $6.4 billion over four years. And most of this they will reclaim from, you know, the people who bank with them and their shareholders. Let's not forget, it's not going to affect their bloody bottom line. They'll just introduce a new new charge. But 0.06%. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the thin edge of the wedge listening to this human excrement Tell us about how horrible it is. Now, I've done a little bit of maths. $6.4 billion over four years. The five big banks. We're not talking about the smaller banks. We're talking about the big boys. The big boys, you know. The monopolists. We're talking about them. That's $600,000 a day. $600,000 a day. And if you really, really, really need to understand how this system works, well, somehow, somehow, somebody leaked the information to the stock market. And yesterday afternoon, $16 billion B. $16 billion of shares traded hands because they were concerned that if this little piddling point naught per 0.6% tax was introduced on the banking sector, that profitability may go down. So a lot of people made a lot of money yesterday, more than the $6.4 billion that they'll collect over four years. I mean, that's how it works. And here they are. You've got every 
every shape of human excrement, and there's lots of you know, shapes when you look at your own excrement, isn't there? But every shape of human excrement, every colour, every smell is out there today telling us how terrible this is. Well, for once, all I can say is to Mr Morrison, good on you, mate. It should have been 10%, not 0.06%. Then they'd have something to squeal about. Let's move on. The budget, 2017. Bash the poor. Not eat the rich, it's bash the poor. Now, just in case you think this is a friendly budget to the 33% of Australians who receive social security benefits, not who are on welfare, not who receive handouts, but people who are on social security benefits. And I cannot believe how many times I have to say the word social security benefits. We have a social security system which benefits every Australian. If you have no safety net or you have holes in a safety net, what happens is those people who don't can't keep body and soul together legally for an adequate social security net, then are forced to turn to crime. And that affects each and every one of us, the rich and the poor, although most crime is against the poor against the poor, as you know. So bash the poor. $4 billion savings in the social security budget. And then we had this human excrement, and I'm not talking about the government, at least they've you know where they're coming from. I'm talking about all these representatives from the business and corporate sector, all these representatives who tell us we need to make savings. We need to screw the people who can't, who have difficulty surviving. We need to turn our attention to these handouts you know, that we're giving to people. See, the word handout, bludger, welfare, beautiful. You create this climate, them and us, because somebody's on a social security benefit, whether it's a single parent's benefit, a disability support pension, an old aid pension, a new start allowance, somehow... They're not Australian. They're not real. They're people we give handouts to. They're welfare recipients. So we need to make their life difficult. And the ones that are really, really, really at the bottom of the pile, at the top of the hit... I'll just deviate for a minute. I have to... Remember as a kid, I'm sure they don't have these pathetic little games these days. You'd go into an arcade, you know, a penny arcade or a five-cent arcade or a 10% arcade, and you have this little game where you had a little little uh, mallet and these little animals, plastic animals, would race out and you hit them on the head. Well, that's what we're doing now. People who are unemployed. Perfect people to bash. Because it's their fault, isn't it, they're unemployed. Somehow, they've stuffed up. So now we're going to have a little trial to drug test them. And if they don't turn up on time, we're going to dock their pay by a half. 
And if they don't turn up on time three times, they're not going to get anything. And we're going to make it more hard for them to get the dole, another prerogatory term, pejorative term, pejorative term, you know, the dole. We dole it out. Dole it out of the little, you know, pannikin of food. You dole it out. There you are. There you are. There you are. Bash the poor budget. Love it. But poor old Scott had to do that, you know. I feel sorry for Scott Morrison. If you're going to introduce a 0.06% tax on the five big banks, the five big banks for deposits over 250000 you're going to introduce this 0.06% tax. Well, you're going to have to do something to show you're a hardhead, aren't you? Especially if you're a Liberal treasurer. So you bash the new style. You bash the unemployed. It's always nice to bash the unemployed because they've got nowhere to go, have they? Who looks after their interests? Who looks after their interests? Because you need to look after your own interests, mate. You need to organise. You need to get involved. You need to get involved in groups like Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Join up to the fastest growing political movement in this country, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You need to form your own organisations. You just can't stand around and say... Ah, such is life. Apologies to Ned Kelly. The other thing I find funny is about four years ago, I thought we had a budget emergency. Ah, well, that's the way it goes. But the crowning glory, the crowning glory, it's not in the budget, but it's going to come in the next week or two. You see, poor old Turnbull, Prime Minister Turnbull, the groper's mate, President Donald Groper's mate, Mr Turnbull, he's under a little bit of pressure from his party. He's under a little bit of pressure. So he's appealing to the population as a whole to try to get his approval rating and the rating of the Liberal National Party to increase a little bit so he can maintain you know, his position as Prime Minister of Australia. So he's putting out this budget which has got you know, a few nice little feelers in it a few nice little feelers, but the big one is he needs somebody to sell his message. He needs somebody to sell his message to the public. And it's all very well using the World Wide Web and all those platforms on the World Wide Web, but they tend somehow not to have the same impact as the legacy media. So what is the federal government going to do over the next few weeks? You keep your eyes out on this. One... They're going to change the media ownership laws. So Murdoch, that's right, Rupert and his little boys, Rupert and his little boys can actually dominate not only the three-to-air television media but the paid television media and radio newspapers in this country, dominate. At the same time, they're going to feed Foxtel you know, Foxtel, that wonderful news station, which does so many wonderful things for President Donald Groper in the US of A, well, they're going to feed them $30 million as compensation. And they've already removed licence fees for television stations or decreased them greatly. So here's a gift for Rupert. So over the next two years, we're going to see every part of the Rupert Murdoch machine in the land of Oz sing the praises of Malcolm and the Liberal National Party. Sing their praises because they will do whatever they have to do in order to be re-elected because the Murdochs of the world are terrified 
of a mildly reformist political party like the Australian Labor Party been in government. Terrified. Terrified of it. A mildly reformist government. What would they be doing if people like you and me, people like public interests before corporate interests, you know, were on the verge of political greatness? We were actually having an effect. They'd be singing out hit squads, wouldn't they? Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. That's right. Let's move on. I mean, I could talk about the budget all day, but I'm sure you've had enough of it. As you know, a lot of crap. This Medicare freeze, you know. Liberal National Party governments have done more to destroy the concept of universal health insurance scheme, that's Medicare, than any other government. They resisted it tooth and nail in 1973 when it was introduced. And at every, 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 you know, every chance... They have tried to de- demolish, destroy Medicare. Destroy it. And this so-called Medicare freeze on GP rebates is designed very simply to make it uneconomical for general practitioners to bulk bill patients. And more and more general practices are being forced, forced, to charge private rates in order to survive. End of story. So this so-called foring of the Medicare rebate is a lot of crap. It's going to take years, years. And during that period, you will see more and more medical practices abandon bulk billing, which means there is an increased out-of-pocket expenses for people and who are the people who take the greatest hit? It's not people who receive a social security benefit because most of that is incorporated, you know, in the Medicare rebate. But it's the people on low wages who can't, uh, don't have access, don't have a healthcare card, who then find they're paying inordinate amounts of their income. So it's low wage earners who are the ones, and their children, are the ones who are feeling the brunt of these Medicare changes. Think about it. Okay, infrastructure. Well, airport, an airport at Badgerys Creek. Who gives a shit? Sorry. I don't care. I mean, I'm sure the people of Badgerys Creek care. They don't want that airport there. But $6.5 billion because some private corporation wouldn't take up the, the slack. And an inland railway line, fine. We but where's the money for public housing? I mean, the federal government could intervene. They could build public housing, not just uh, put aside $357 million to look after people who are homeless. Hmm? And getting back, just taking one step back, let's take one step back to drug testing, the trial of drug testing. One... Drugs are used by all sections of society. Two, people who find themselves in difficult circumstances who use drugs and alcohol, significant proportion of people who use drugs and alcohol are self-medicating. That's right, they've got psychiatric issues, 
social issues, homeless issues. They are self-medicating to try to make a difficult situation a little bit more bearable. So when you focus on those people for New Start Allowance who've got drug and alcohol issues, you begin to understand that what we are seeing is a punitive approach to people who've got addictive. Now, I'm not saying that all people who are on drugs have got psychiatric or social issues. But a significant proportion of people who are on a new start allowance who've got drug issues and alcohol issues, significant proportion, over 60%, do have underlying psychiatric and social issues. And it's all very well forcing them to uh, dry out. But if you don't change the social circumstances or address the psychiatric issues, it's back to square one. It's just a sop. It's a sop to try to take away people's attention from the 0.06% banking tax, which is the end of the world as we know it. All right, let's move on. Now, sometimes on this program, we, you know, the whole point of the anarchist world this week is to provide an analysis and to provide solutions and to give people hope, you know, hope. The love, child, desire and expectation. The desire for change, the expectation that change will occur. There's no hope if there's no ever any desire or expectation for change. And that's the dilemma in Australia. There's an increasing number of people who find themselves in a totally hopeless situation who see no way out. And what the Anarchist World this week, this program is about, is about saying to people, you may have an individual issue, but that's not the problem. The essential problem is the way this society is structured. We see it in this budget. We see it every day. We see it in the type of media we have. We see it in terms of the way people who exploit other people excel, are given medals, are told they're wonderful people in this country. And people who work hard, who take home minimum pay, somehow are you know, non-citizens. So let's move on because it's all interacted. It all interacts. Now, currently, we have a social and political and cultural movement which is which is being fanned by these this inequality, this growing inequality and growing powerlessness in the community, but it directs its energy at the other, the person who's different, whose cultural practices are different, whose religion is different, who look different, who wear different clothes. It's always directed at the other. So we're seeing the ascendancy of political groups who are now gaining a foothold in Parliament whose single most important uh, war cry is kill the other. Kill the other. Not addressing the reasons why so many Australians find themselves in increasingly difficult situations. And we've had, you know, we've had people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders been at the brunt and continue to be at the brunt of the kill the other, you know, uh, political program. And we had Asians, you know, we've got Africans and Somalians. But there has been a turn lately where it's the Muslims, you know, the Muslims. Get rid of the Muslims. It'll all be all right, boys and girls. So what I'd like to do today is look at the difference between Islam and Islamism because a lot of people are a bit confused about the difference. I mean, Judaism, 
Christianity and Islam are monotheistic religions. They are one God religions, which trace their origins back to Abraham. So these three major religions, which account for about 40% of the world's population, you know, follow one of these three religions, whether it's Judaism, Christianity or Islam, they're all derived from the same source, from Abraham. Now, all three religious traditions are riddled with contradictions and differences which are based on different interpretations of the Torah, the Bible and the Koran. We're all human beings. You've got all this stuff written in these books, written down, and obviously different people different people have different interpretations of what's written down. That's what it is about being human. If you look at Christianity and you look at Islam and you look at Judaism, you look at these three major religions which come from the Abrahamic tradition, they're riddled with factions. Riddled with factions. There's ultra-liberals, ultra-orthodox, the Pentecostalists, just riddled with factions. And that's because people, human beings, have different interpretations of what is in that book. Different interpretations. Now, the tragedy is that tens of millions, not millions, but tens of millions of people have died. That's right, died, as a result of clashes between these faiths, which are all derived from the Abrahamic tradition, and intractable disputes within these three separate religious traditions. So we have a long history of killing each other. Well, I'm an atheist, so it doesn't worry me, although they all hate us. All those people who believe in a God, especially a one-God religion, they all hate atheists because we're the, you know, the exact opposite of what they are. So there's these intractable disputes within these religious traditions. Well, they kill each other. And then when they get together, then they kill somebody from another religion. If you look at human history, it's littered with examples over the last four to 5,000 years. Examples of mass murder, genocide, slaughter, disputes, theocracies. Tens of millions have died. Tens of millions. Tens of millions. Now in the 21st century, let's move into the 21st century. All these three religious traditions are splintered into a myriad of groups. As I said before, ranging from the ultra-Orthodox to the ultra-Liberal. And these divisions are once again based on different differing interpretations of the contents of their holy books. Now, I'm not deriding their holy books. Fine. They've got a holy book. But within their own religious tradition, there's all this disputes, debate, murder about what it all means. What did God mean? What did he mean when he spoke to Muhammad and he wrote it down in the Quran? What did it mean when people wrote the Bible, in some cases hundreds of years after the death of Christ? What did it mean in the Old Testament? What did it all mean? There is absolutely no doubt, no doubt, 
that Judaism, Christianity and Islam are religions that are ultimately based on faith. I've got no problem with that. They're based on faith. People have faith. They have faith in their ideas, their holy books, their belief in the chosen people, or whatever. On the other hand, Islamism, so to me, Islam is a tradition, is, is a religion. It is a religion. It is derived from the Abrahamic tradition. It is a religion. End of story. Irrespective of what I think of Islam or Christianity or Judaism, they are three religions. On the other hand, Islamism, although derived from Islam, is not a religion. It is not a religion. It is essentially a fascist ideology that uses violence to enforce its interpretation of the Koran on non-believers both within and outside the Islamic tradition. So, It's a fascist ideology. Fascism is about enforcing your will on other people, whether it's you have an, and once you capture the state apparatus, that religious fascism becomes theocracy. And that's what we are seeing to some degree in Indonesia yesterday when ad hoc was sentenced to two years jail for blasphemy. So an Islamist group which captures territory, and that's what we're seeing in Iraq and Syria, transforms that territory into a theocracy that uses the law to enforce their particular brand of Islamic fascism on the population. So this is fascism, out and out. It's the same strategy. It's about using force to impose your will on people. In certain situations, it's about race, as we saw in Nazi Germany. In other situations, fascism can be based on religious interpretation. So although Islamism comes from Islam, it is essentially a fascist ideology. Now, the other thing about Islamists is they're not one group, monolithic group. Islamists are divided into a myriad of factions, just like you know, other fascist ideologies. I mean, these factions use different strategies and use different interpretations of the Koran to create their new world. They're quite happy to use force, to force people like you and me to convert or die in order to create their new world. As I said before, they're willing to use violence and are willing to, to die. That's right. They're willing to die in the struggle to enforce their pseudo-religious picadillos on the people in and outside the territories they control. I mean, the Taliban in Afghanistan, Daesh in Syria and Iraq, the theocracies in Saudi Arabia and Iran are example of different Islamic 
Islamist movements. And that's why we're seeing Iran and Saudi Arabia both battling each other in order to have ascendancy in the Middle East. Like all fascist movements, they are belligerent and violent and are happy to use all the means at their disposal to enforce their particular interpretation of the Koran on everybody else. I mean, it's no accident more, more Muslims have died at the hands of the Islamists than any other people on the planet. It's no accident. Obviously, there's the occasional outrage in a non-Muslim country, but the people who are bearing the brunt of this Islamist struggle to enforce their particular interpretation of the Koran on everybody they control have been Muslims. Look at Yemen. Look at Yemen. Look at the mass starvation that is now occurring because of this pseudo-battle between Saudi Arabia, which is supported you know, by uh, the United States of America, who's providing force, and Iran, which is, a, which is supporting another faction in Yemen. I mean, the leaders in Islamist societies range from the Saudi Arabian, Saudi Arab royal family to Saudi Arabia to the mullahs in Iran and Afghanistan and self-appointed strongmen in the newer Islamist manifestations. In every one of these examples, power is centralised in the hands of one person or a small group. That's what fascism is about. It's about centralising power in a small group. It's about using violence to create the conditions which allow you to capture the state and then use the state to enforce your will. I mean, Islamism has much more in common with European fascism than any other ideology. Whether race, nationalism or religion is the calling card of a fascist ideology, fascism is fascism. And as we see in our own country, it needs to be resisted every turn by those of us who wish to create an inclusive egalitarian community. That's the thing. What do you want to create? Do you want to create an exclusive society where you use force to impose your particular viewpoints on everybody else or do you want to create an egalitarian community where power and wealth is shared? And that's why, as anarchists, we continue to resist the growth of fascism whether that growth of fascism is based on race, whether it's based on nationality, whether it's based on cultural practices, whether it's based on religious interpretations, fascism is fascism. Fascism is about centralising power. It's about using that power to transform society to become a mirror image of your own fantasies, of that fascist fantasy. And whether it's groups in Australia who use race or religion to push their uh, ideas, or whether it's somewhere else, fascism is fascism. And that's why Zanarchists, people who want to devolve power and share wealth, we have always been at the forefront of that movement to counter fascism. 
So to me, an Islamist is a fascist who uses a religious excuse for their fascism. End of story. Islam is a religion which is followed by hundreds of millions of people, if not billions of people across the globe, like Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism. These are religious interpretations basically based on faith. I think they're illusions, but many other people believe it's real and central to their life. And if they believe it's real and central to their life and don't want to impose it on me through force, good luck to them. But if they want to impose it on me through force, well, bad luck to them. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, if you want to become a member of public interest before corporate interests, simple. You can leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. Leave a contact address and we'll send you an application form. You can always write to us for an application form. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. I was interesting today. I was listening to some idiot talk about the Commonwealth Games. To get a ticket, you've got to go on the net. How about the 40% of the people who don't use the net? It's as if they don't exist. Well, we believe you do exist. So you can write to us. We'll answer the letter. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at uh, anarchistage at yahoo.com. A few websites you can go to. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the number four, the public. You can go to Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing. You can go to our website, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to the tunnamall.org website. It looks at the Tunnamall-Melbourne struggle. And those of you living in Melbourne, I'll be presenting a lecture between 11 and around about between 11 and 12 at the Unitarian Church at 114 Grey Street in East Melbourne this Sunday on uh, the lessons to be drawn from the Tanamunua Mōbōhina struggle. And you can uh, download the application form from Pipsy at info at pipsy.net, info at pibci.net. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting this today's program. Remember, it's not what I say that matters. What matters is what you do, how you organise, what activities you become involved in. You can get RSI from being an internet warrior. You can get, you know, you can get pressure areas on your bum watching TV, or you can get up and walk around, lose a bit of weight, and get involved in an activity around the this state this country and the world. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network on your local community radio station. Listen next week to the Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!